Welcome to episode 349 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Are you still using Zoom to meet with coaching clients, run trainings and workshops, or record videos for social or an online course? It's time to up your game. This fall, I'm hosting the next cohort of the 5% Advantage program. This four-week program will help you become more confident and competent using Zoom, no matter what level you're at now. For those ready to become certified virtual event professionals, hashtag no more bad Zoom, there's a certification option. If you're looking for an opportunity to practice speaking or facilitating and get personalized feedback, that's a different option. If you just want to access the materials and have conversations with our community, there's an option to audit the program. Maybe you also just want the free content to help you on your journey of becoming a better virtual presenter or Zoom producer. That's also something I'll offer. Let me know you're interested in this content by signing up for the interest list for this course at robbysamuels.com forward slash maven. I'll be hosting this program through maven.com, which means it'll be a live cohort with several Zoom sessions over the month, plus access to asynchronous learning through a library filled with content you can refer to at any time. Sign up for the interest list at robbysamuels.com forward slash maven. Next, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest is known as the Step It Up Queen. She's on a mission to empower entrepreneurs who in turn will better the world. She helps her clients have more clarity, more profits, and more fun. With over 20 years of experience as a business coach and speaker, she has worked with thousands of people to just finish the damn project. Specifically, she coaches thought leaders through writing and publishing their transformative books. Despite struggling to learn to read due to her debilitating dyslexia, She's the award-winning author of more than 30 books. Her latest book is The Most Common Entrepreneurial Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Please join me in welcoming Lisa McDonald. Hey, Lisa. Thank you, Robbie. It's so great to be here. I just love all your work, and I love to be able to contribute to it. Uh, Very exciting. Thanks for joining us from your place in Tucson, Arizona. Thrilled to have you here. And as you know, this is a show of building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Okay, so just just for a disclaimer with leadership, I work with a lot of men with leadership and I have different definitions per person because I think everybody does leadership differently. And I always like to, when I'm coaching, I like to help figure out who that person is and how they do it. But for me, it's about inspiring others to better the world and to do what they were born 
to do. I really like to be the cheerleader behind the scenes and just saying, you know, I'm really helping people be who they authentically are and get their message out and, and to not hide their gifts because they, if they hide, then the world's not getting better. I really appreciate that, that uh, the idea that you, you're inspiring people to sort of bring that gift of themselves into the world to actually move forward with that project to, to share their wisdom and brilliance. So I, I love that. How did you first start to realize you had the skills to do that? Yeah, it was a long go. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I was in one of those way back when I was first starting as a coach, I was in one of those really boring business networking groups. And there were all the suits there. And they were all, you know, the board, you know, the financial planners and the insurance people and all of that. And, and they were all standing up going, Oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. And I was dying, Robbie, I just couldn't even compete. I didn't know how to do it. I was trying to pretend to be like them so I could have a business. And it was, I was falling flat on my face. Absolutely just face plant. Then one day somebody came to me and they needed help. And so I did what I do. And as I was coaching her and just doing it, all of a sudden everybody started referring me. But I realized, oh my gosh, all I was doing was being a mom. I was believing in them seeing potential that they didn't even know and then do butt kicking when they needed it. And soon as I became an alignment with who I was, I was like, Oh, all I have to do is be who I am naturally. So that's, that was my first step. The second step, I took a leadership training and I just did it so I could facilitate in front of the room, honest to goodness. And somebody came to me and they go, well, you're a leader. You're taking a facilitating training. And I'm like, I'm not a leader. And they're like, Oh yeah, you are. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> that, that made me think. And I was like going, Oh, they're like, Oh, you're a mom of eight children. You're running all these kids and you have all support this and that and the other. And I was like, Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a CEO of a household uh, approach of leadership, not to have to be in the front of leadership. I'm, you, you know, you just slowly like you just sort of drop in the uh, mom of eight children. Like you clearly are a CEO of your household, right? Just, to, to be organized, to, to stay on top of what's happening in everyone's life. Like you have to have mad skills to do that. And then of course that translated into being able to support coach, inspire others who came to you for that kind of cheerleading. And I love that you realize you didn't have to be like these stiff suits. <laughs> I know what you're talking about too. Like there's this, yeah. I'm not that. And you know, when I go to the networking things, I show up as my quirky self. And yeah. I'm okay. I mean, if they're going to be boring, that's fine. That's their jam. I, you know, I hire them because I need the insurance, but you know, I don't have to be that way because that's not who I am. Right. Well, so you've got quite the story and some of this is on your website, which is the stuff I didn't, I didn't know a lot about, but I want to take us way back, even further back than that. I want to know who you were, who were, you were as a kid. Uh, what were you like on the playground? You know, were you kind of organizing your friends to get together? Were you sitting back and watching? Did you run for student, you know, office or organize clubs and activities? Like what kind of kid were you like in grade school and then on into high school? I was very quiet. Um, I was, I'm the oldest of eight too. So I was running a household from, by the time I was three, I was getting up and changing diapers. So, you know, the kid thing is natural for me. It's just like, I know it. But no, by sixth grade, I was in the corner reading some fascinating book going, how can I be a writer? And I didn't really, 
you know, the other kids, I thought that they were immature. So what they did was uh, the, somebody at school was really smart and had me go in and teach the kindergartners during my recess and lunch. And it was the most fabulous experience. That's when I really lit up because I got to go and help and improve. And, you know, I didn't care so much about play. That's when my, my kids are like, mom, you don't know how to play very well. I'm still learning how to play. That wasn't in my DNA, but I was definitely about giving and, and you know, teaching kids how to read because I knew how hard it was. I don't know how to do phonetics. I'm back from that time period when they didn't teach it that on top of dyslexia, it just made it really hard, but I loved working with the kids. I loved making their lives better. So I was one of those where everybody comes and tells all their personal problems to, you know, and, and in high school, I did become a student body representative and I did get in trouble because I used to put really clever things up on the billboard and everybody around town, I grew up in Idaho Falls would come and drive by to see what I would post. And I would cause so much trouble. At one point, um, a, a guy was inappropriate with a girl. And so I wrote, it's over NS. It caused so much trouble. I was banned from doing that ever again. But it, people would line up and they were taking pictures from all over town. There was speculation everywhere. So, yeah, I, I'm a quiet troublemaker. Quiet troublemaker. That's that's might be the title of this show, actually. <laughs> the way you just described that is hysterical. But you also found a platform that got a lot of attention at an early age, despite being kind of quiet and reserved. Yeah. Yeah. You got the whole town paying attention. What's going on? I was worried about oh, some baseball game or whatever, but no, I would go new and approved class of, you know, and then I put the class down. I, I put also, I, we, I used, to, I'm so sad I didn't take pictures of it because it was funny, some of those things, and it would drive a whole bunch of stuff. And so they were talking about it at the city council because it was causing so much trouble. Oh, no. God, I can just imagine fender benders while people are reading your. <laughs> well, you know, it was Idaho. There wasn't much going on. So, yeah. You know, we had to make it interesting. So it's interesting, you know, in the introduction, I shared that you had dyslexia, have dyslexia, and that was a struggle to learn to read. But then in 12th, in sixth grade, you're reading on your own. So you're enjoying literature yourself. And you're also seen as someone who's very studious and you like teaching. And so someone has a remarkable idea to give you the opportunity to, to work with kindergartners and you're helping them read. I mean, that's kind of fascinating. How old were you when you were diagnosed with dyslexia? Was that caught pretty early on? No, and I didn't get trained. I had no intervention. Basically, in sixth grade, I was caught. And um, what happened was they pretty much gave me a decision in seventh grade. I could either go to what they called back then the resource class, or I would be put integrated in the normal class. And they told me that I would fail. They told me, you will not do well, whatever. They didn't tell me that they put me in the resource class. So the first day in class, they're going, get out your crowns, whatever. And I went up to the teacher, totally embarrassed, and go, you put me in the wrong class. All of a sudden, that put big crisis. My family, my dad got called in. My parents got called in. And they gave me a choice of whether to go into mainstream or to go into resource. And I'm like, um, let me fail, baby. Put me in the main thing. And I never got any help or training until I was starting to go into my for my master's degree. And I went to a dyslexia center and saying, okay, um, I would like to be able to have some help 
to be able to um, do this high level academia and not crash on my face. That's when they started showing me some of my life skills I've developed to hide the fact that I still struggle with. And then I get lost all the time now, even I, mean, I still have the problem. I still get lost and, you know, I still misdo things, but now it's so much easier because we have all these wonderful apps and resources that can help. Yeah. I mean, these apps and resources help everyone, not just people with dyslexia get through life. I, I joke that I moved here two years ago and I, I know how to get to Costco without GPS, but that's kind of it. Like, I would still that, be I lost in Italy. I, you know, with, with my sister and I, if we didn't have that app, I just. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the interventions we have today for all of us. So it's a, it is interesting. And I, I want to sort of follow this through line because you, of course, went on to be someone who publishes books yourself and helps others do writing. And so clearly your, your love of learning or love of literature continued, but it was challenging early on. And you, it sounds like you went through you know, 20 plus years of not having the supports you needed to really thrive in that area. I had teachers tell me I would fail. So I, ha I had one of those sub teachers and he saw me reading one of those craft books in high school. He flat out in front of the entire class told me that I would never, ever, ever make it. I have had many multiple teachers tell me I would never make it. Even when I was in college and I was taking the class, I had a teacher yelling at me saying, you can't do this. Da, 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 da. And that paper that they gave me a D on, thank you very much. I went and turned around and sold it three times. So it was like, you know, it put, it lit a fire on me. It's like, you yeah. can't, and you know, I know, and, and my dad, he was very wonderful in the fact that he told me, he goes, Lisa, anybody can spell, but they don't have the creativity you have. And I remember thinking, but I can't spell <laughs> if anybody can, but I can't. And I still struggle with it. I still work with it. I still try to work on that, but he at least encouraged me to be creative. And I've, you know, since then watched documentaries on dyslexia and see that uh, because I see things from a 365 degree view, it makes me really good at being able to be a coach. It makes me mm -hmm. really good at seeing things that other people don't see. It makes me really good uh, with um, dyslexia. We're actually really good at crossword because words pop out because things pop out to us. And so I can all of a sudden, the word repetitions drive me nuts because I can see it where other people might not. Mm. So when you're about 12 years old, you know, when we getting into middle school, junior high, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was there, a, was there a path in front of you? Writer? Writer. Since the moment, I, and, and from sixth grade on, I wrote a horrible, horrible poem during recess. And because it was Idaho, if anybody knows anything about Idaho, the wind is always blowing. And I, so I wrote, why does the wind blow? Why does the wind always blow? You know, I just went on and on. And to be able to capture my thoughts and my feelings and words, I'm still craving going how to do that, how to really be representative of who I really authentically am and to be able to capture it. To me, that was just fascinating. And then I would look at a book and I would go, what would it be like to have your name on because, you know, I had came from a little bit rough childhood. And so books were my way to my portal to a different world and imagination and going there. And I wanted to be able to give that kind of gift to somebody else. Did you know anyone who was a writer? Was that sort of a, a tangible goal in any way? No, it was very. I knew no one. And I didn't have any, I mean, no training, nothing. It wasn't until it's, I was, uh, I'm a more uh, non traditional student for my master's degree. And then I went and got my MFA at, you know, um, just 
I think four years ago. So it wasn't very long ago, but people don't understand what a privilege it is to get training with top writers. And, you know, I'm with, um, you know, some of the students weren't appreciating it. They were out having parties in the weekend and showing up fatigued. I'm like going, but this is, this had been something I had been wanting to help from going from beginner stage to actually getting deep understanding on literature and craft. I've just, you know, I've wanted it my whole life and it was hard to access that kind of support. Well, it sounds like you did head off to college if you were going on to get advanced degrees later in life. Um, when you when you were heading off to college, was that a given, first of all? I mean, eight kids. It, it was that like, did was college like a given? Did you have to find your way to pay for it? Did you know what you wanted I, to study? I earned half. And I, my, my deal with my parents was I earn half, they earn half. Mm. And then the other deal was I was not to get a job during college, which was the biggest disservice my parents probably have ever done. It, it really gave me a lot of hiccups. So that it was not a given. I couldn't get into the college at the university that they wanted me to. I wanted to go to Moscow, Idaho, the party school. And my parents used their connections to get me back into the university that they wanted me into. So, so no, I was put on probation. And the education where I was at was not good. And so when I got into college, all I did night and day was study, study, study. Because with dyslexia, it takes longer, it's more work. And I was terrified of failing. And I had to really, I worked three times harder than my um, dorms, you know, my college students, my roommates. They were getting, they were going getting A's. And I'm over there just praying that I can get a C. <laughs> so it was not easy. Not you know, easy. I had not had the background or the knowledge base to go to really do well, but I worked hard. And I noticed a lot of my, um, you know, my roommates, they were there on scholarship, they were straight A students, and a lot of them fell out because they didn't have persistence. Mm. And they didn't have grit. And then I learned that if I did every assignment, it actually gave me a huge competitive advantage. Not a little, not in a class of 200 people. You would be amazed at how many people don't do all the assignments. And that's where I learned about, you know, in business, not everybody's willing to do everything. Not So that grit is a huge gift. Yeah, I feel like this grit is an underlying theme in your story, too. The perseverance, the follow through. I, I can really appreciate how that con continues to show up. What did you decide to go to college for? Like, what was the degree you were pursuing? Well, my mom wanted me to go for the MRS degree. And she just told me to take cooking and sewing and um, children's development. And I was like, if I have to pass that stupid math class, because I felt bad enough on the SAT because I didn't take math classes because nobody guided me. And so when I did the test, I just filled out um, the guys I was dating's initials. <laughs> so I didn't do very well. <laughs> They're going, I have no idea what they're even asking. So I had to take all these beginner math classes so I could do the foreign language option. And I was looking at my mom and I said, I do not care about your cooking and sewing and everything. If I pass those stinking math classes, I am going to get a degree and I am going to get a degree right now because I don't ever want to have to take those math classes again. So I was very determined to never take math again. And, and you went into business where you have to deal with numbers. <laughs> Not much, not much. Yeah, I yeah, have yeah. To figure out how much I'm going to get paid and how much I need to to get paid. What, what was it? What degree did you end up with? English, of course. English, and then what did like, you use that just for? Sit around and read books for a degree versus all those science. Yeah. I thought they were suckers. I was like, ha ha, you know, because I was like, wait, you can get a degree just reading literature and all the grades. I'm in. 
Yeah. My sister got uh, a graduated with an English degree. And I remember being perplexed, like, okay, what do you do with that? You know, like, so what was the next plan? There's not like an obvious, like, it's not like pre-med where you like, you know exactly what's going to happen next or law school or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. So what did, what was the plan? Well, by that time I graduated, Robbie, I had three children. I was married and I had three kids. Under four. Yes. How, how old I didn't walk because I just barely gave birth to my third oh my. child. <laughs> so. Wait, wh- how, how old are you at the point that you graduated? Oh, let's see. Third child. That would be, I was about 24. So you're 24 years old. You've got three children. You've just finished your undergrad degree. And so clearly you were married at that point. Yeah, I, was, yeah I got married at 19 because, you know. Married at 19, five years into that. Wow. Okay. So three into the five, three into the eight. So there's five more kids to come. Um, so th- did you become the homemaker in, in the end? I, I was a homemaker, but I also helped my husband grow his business. My husband uh, at the time. And it wasn't then that I, it wasn't until I got divorced from him and his business started tanking. Did I realize that I actually was really good at business? I had no interest in business at all. All I thought it was like for the boring people, but then I, you know, when he left and then he kept calling me and wanting me to coach him and all of that stuff, then I realized that I actually had a gift with it because I was the one helping him um, get, you know, his business went really successful. And I was the one in the back of the room doing the strategy, doing the figuring, doing the cheerleading. And so that's when he was calling desperately over and over and over again. One, I made a deal and it's like, well, it's not ethical for me to coach you. So this is going to be, we're just going to do it as a friendship thing. And you do all the driving for all the sports for the kids. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Eight kids. I think you. Well, we had sex at the time, and he did all uh, the sports. I mean, and I said I will take the phone calls, but realize I am biased when I'm coaching you. <laughs> it is not an official coaching thing, and I will help you, but you do all the driving. That's hysterical. Yeah. So you had no intention to be doing entrepreneurship. What, what was the business? What were you? What was the sales that you were doing? Uh, well, it was what he, he was a video producer. So I was helping him just do it on the end. So he would make, he often put me in front of the camera. <laughs> I didn't really like it. I was like, Oh my gosh, these actresses, what they have to go through. No, thank you. You know, and we, he did start doing um, movies. And so we did do movies together and he would call me up and he goes, I need to have a script within, you know, and within three hours I've after showing up and they're going to be, you know, auditioning. And I'm like, I just gave birth to the fifth child. I don't feel good. Are you kidding me? And he's like, I will do all the homework when we get home. Can you just write the script? And so, you know, we, we did do and we produced together. We co-produced and I was, you know, managing person or writing the scripts for, I think, about three movies. So. Wow. Are the are eight kids bunched together or spread okay, out? Okay, there's the six kids. I had six kids by the time I was 28. Okay. And then I upgraded the husband and then we had two more and then I upgraded the husband again and we are having zero. <laughs> so, <laughs> but there. all eight are mine. I always get asked that. I gave birth to all eight of them. None of them are trip are doubles. No, no, nope. you know, the, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So you had your hands full quite literally through your twenties and then for part of your 30s as well. And I was writing through that whole time. And you were writing through that whole time. The what kind of work are you time. writing? Huh? What were you writing? Novels. Well, I actually wrote whatever the publisher would ask me. 
How did so you first I get that gig? Books. I mean, huh? don't don't jump over the. How did you first get paid to I mean, getting paid to be a writer? Is like it's hard. I don't know. It's like amazing. Well, like, it no one then. expects to do it. Yeah. So anyway, my goal was you go and graduate from college with an English degree, studying all the grades, and then just keep on writing. And so that's what I did. And it took me about, well, I don't know, I think about two or three years before our first manuscript got accepted. I have a rejection file back when it was print, you know, about that thick. I mean, I was rejected nonstop. Like feet high. Yeah. Yeah. And then one um, publisher accepted um, a manuscript because I heard that they were accepting quote books. And so they wanted quotes on um, about raising children. So I called that life with the kids. I'm like, I can do that in two seconds. You know, and it was supposed to just be funny. You know, when the um, dinner's done is when the house alarm is going off. You know, you know, when dinner's right, just things like that. And then they asked me to do one on tips on marriage. And I'm like, okay, we'll do the two good things that's working in my marriage. And then we'll come up with the other 363 ones that I wish you would do. So, you know, but during that time, I'm submitting um, novels, too. And that year, I published, I think, three books in one year. All of a sudden, it hit. So I got the two quote books plus the novel, and wow. then it started taking off. And then whatever the publisher asked, I knew nothing about branding, nothing about positioning yourself. But then all of a sudden, you, like, have to sell books. That's what got me into, into entrepreneurship and coaching was yeah. speaking. Was was speaking in order right, to Right, when you're an author, they want you to speak. And then people kept coming up to me and going, hey, can you help me? Can you work with me? And I'm like, but I'm not a therapist. And they're like, we don't care. We want what you have. You have a smile on your face and you actually have children. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, things with that and, you know, uh, the darker side of, you know, they're like, well, you were able to survive. You were able to get out of a bad marriage. Yeah. You were able to, how, you know, they wanted help with that. Yeah. So people started to help you realize that you had more to offer beyond the writing. And that's when you started doing more speaking and coaching. Was there a specific topic you were coaching on or was it whatever people asked of you? For no, I started off. Okay. So um, my, my situation with my first was it was a domestic violence situation. So I did have to flee with six kids in tow and we went and hid in the sagebrush for a while because, you know, I needed him to calm down and it took me years to leave. I wasn't going to lose my children and I wanted the best for my children. And so to learn what it was, to learn what I was dealing with, to learn the city's um, rules and all of that took years. It took years. So when I went and did that, um, he made it very public. I wasn't appreciative of that, but it became very public. So then people kept coming to me and kept coming to me. And I did get training with a lot of PhD therapists on my journey of trying to, how do I heal my kids? How do I make it so that they're not touched and we don't spread it down? So I had a lot of um, where I became a facilitator for them and a lot of education in that department. And so originally that's what I started off with. And I'm telling you, Robbie, it's so much easier to do entrepreneur stuff than coaching on that particular issue. Yeah. The work with survivors around you know, domestic violence is especially someone who has lived experience, I imagine is incredibly draining. Well, I, I got, I, I got um, death threats, which that part was wow. okay. But then they started coming after my children. That part was not okay. Wow. Not, I mean, cause they don't like it. You know, I got my website all attacked and, and you know, I've lost a lot of the work that I used to do and, and all that stuff because somebody was angry about 
the message. Yeah. So how did you move past that message since that was like what people knew you for? How did you, I mean, I, I'm almost want to say rebrand, but it's, oh, yeah. it sounds it like was, for a while you didn't know about branding, but when did you realize you could take control of the narrative in that way? Well, the day I got the death threat against my kids, I'm like, we are changing. <laughs> so, you know, and then I tried one company, I called it redemptive community. It flopped. It didn't work. And so I went to the clients that I had and I started interviewing them and started saying, hey, why are you working with me? What can I put online? What's going on? What's so special? And Robbie, every single one of them said the same thing. <sighs> Lisa, this is not going to help you. I know this is not what you're going to want to hear, but I hired you because of who you are. You make me step it up. You have more children, you have more health problems, you have the, you know, you have the ex-spouse, you take away our excuses, you make me step it up. And I heard, step it up, step it up every time. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm the step it up queen. So that's where it came from is from my clients' mouths over and over. And they're like, it's just who you are. That's what gravitated, and which makes it harder to do it online and to be able to position yourself. But it also let me know what it was you know and it was fascinating when you interview your clients about why they work with you it's i had no idea the impact it was having or why who gave you the idea to do that a marketing coach so you so you clearly were seeking some kind of personal support professional support around this you Absolutely. hired a marketing coach you're willing to be coached so you're you you're coachable um and then you followed through because they gave you the assignment it's not an easy assignment per se um, but you went and you did it and you got these feedback that in the end was helpful because it gave you a way to kind of frame who you are, market it a little bit differently. And then you became known for helping people follow through on their stuff, their projects, step it up. Yeah, I'm very known for, the, you know, I mean, accountability. I got children, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, as I told your group the other day, I was like, come on, guys, your excuses aren't as good as my teenagers. <laughs> They're just not. You know, I had five teenagers at once. I heard it. So, you know, if you want to know people are really good at giving excuses and trying to get out of things, you know, get a bunch of teenagers in your life. Mm -hmm. And this latest rebranding, I, I know you've been going through shifts over time. Um, how did you start? How do you continue to evolve? It sounds like you keep seeking new opportunities. The, the business became, became stronger in, in doing the business part of it yourself, the messaging. But how has it evolved over time? Well, I get bored. That's how it gets, you know, I'm a creative at heart, so I like new challenges. And so back in 2020, I went in and I, I got hired to just help people edit their books. I was like, ooh, that'd be fun. You know, content development. I don't do the line editing because dyslexia, you know, I own my, that. that's not where my skill set is, but helping them flesh it out and helping with the books. So I tried doing that and I love working with thought leaders. I love helping them, you know, taking all my business knowledge and how they stand out and helping them craft it into a book to make a meaningful book using their signature stuff and just probing them and getting to the meat of what they have to offer. It's like, wow, this is super, super fun. So now I not only am doing the coaching, but I also have helped quite a few people write that meaningful book and get it out there in the world. Was this starting in 2020 before or after March? Was it was it influenced by the pandemic or not? not well, the pandemic, I was teaching writing at a community college. 
And so that pandemic helped encourage me to leave that because what I because really I wanted to make a difference in the world. And that when I went to the college, because I look I work at one of the most um, high first generation students and high diversity. And it was I loved what I learned there. But a lot of these students didn't have life skills. They didn't. I realized how much privilege my kids have just on knowing how to show up, do their homework, and just how to function in in the United States way of functioning, right? And so I taught the students that that. I mean, I was supposed to be teaching thesis statement and you know writing, but what I really was teaching them on how to find your purpose, how to have how to show up, how to be responsible, all those things. And I loved doing that. But then when COVID happened. And we shifted online, which was fine. It was great. But I knew the entrepreneurs, I saw them hurting so bad. I'm like, I'm not serving the right people right now. Entrepreneurs needed help so much more, in my viewpoint, than the students did at that time. So I went back and I was like, I need to go back in and full fledged and help these entrepreneurs because they were going to lose their businesses. And I believe our entire, the best of our world is going to be with entrepreneurs. If I help entrepreneurs do their mission, the world will heal. That's awesome that you, you were able to refocus your own passion and decide on who you wanted to work with. How did you initially attract those people if you hadn't already been doing this, how do you get those first few clients to do this new work? Um, show up, networking. It's you know, like I like I've learned. It's my energy. It's who I essentially I have to show up. So that is the best way for me to attract clients is to show up. Mm-hmm. I can do all this online stuff and all those um, gadgets and gadgets and things, but the, where, where my brilliance is is um, me resonating with the right people, and they just seen they come to me. Because, you know, I, I, I operate best in the feminine energy. They go, oh, I'm one of those. Oh, she can believe in me. Oh, she can see me, you know. And so if I show up, then it works. If I hide, it doesn't. Yeah. Were you networking then on like virtual programs like Zoom happy hours or Zoom networking? Because I, I joined your group, of course. That was one of the first moves. Was yeah. the, the no more bag zoom that was i think that was my first group to join oh that's awesome i didn't know that so, yeah i was like okay i'm going to show up because um, you have like-minded people there and yep. people who would know who i'd serve and people i can recommend and so there was that and then i would do other networking groups that were virtually because i wasn't going to go anywhere so mm-hmm. you know because it, we had some people at risk in the house so i just showed up on zoom yeah, so and I learned them really quickly too because, like, you know, I was teaching at the time. And so within one, um, yeah, within one day, I learned Zoom. Thank heavens I have children. And they were so instrumental in helping me go online. My, you know, at the time, I think they were 12 and 14. And my daughter walked me on. She goes, okay, well, you need to get out of this. You know, they weren't liking me teaching because there was some threats and stuff that happened. So they weren't liking it. And they're like, mom. All you need to do is put up a green screen. I can help you with this and the rest of it we can YouTube. Wow. So we came over the walk and they put up my green screen that I had sitting in a box, Robbie, for three years. Uh, <laughs> you already had everything you needed. You just weren't putting it up and doing it. Well, I didn't it. want to be on TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Do it. <laughs> 
Right. Like you said, being visible is how you attract people who are drawn drawn to you. So showing up. So um, you mentioned No More Bad Zoom. So folks go to nomorebadzoom.com. It's something I'm still hosting. I hosted it weekly for two years for free. And now it's a free monthly uh, virtual happy hour for entrepreneurs. And uh, we have a good time. And then the rest of the month, you and I hang out also in the Content and Connection Club, which you go to contentandconnectionclub.com. You can learn more about that for just $25 a month. We get together and we have a weekly mastermind. And then Lisa, you just added a little element of accountability at the end of the week. So I was away for a little bit. And, and he put uh, me in charge. <laughs> I put you in charge. And so now I, this is how we, we add and develop. I love, I love that in my absence, people stepped up. Um, it's, I, I agree with you. There's something about working with entrepreneurs that I really, really enjoy. You didn't have entrepreneurs as your network when you first got started. I mean, you're writing, it sounds like you're writing kind of whatever they asked you really, you know, everything from quotes to novels. Um, so how did you start to develop the network that is supporting you today? Um, you know, you now have people in your life that are entrepreneurial, that understand the work you're doing, that are thought leaders. When did that shift start to happen? How did you start to attract those kinds of people into your life? Well, um, I went to a conference in San Francisco. It was a big, huge writing conference. And I heard Jack Canfield speak. He shattered the glass ceiling for me because I wasn't, I wasn't going to go into business or anything. I had no intention of doing any of that. And when he spoke, I came home and started a business the very next day. And then I joined his mastermind group. So that I was extra for what, cause see, I was like, I wanted to sell books, right? I was still going, I want to sell books. I want to do that. But by being under his mastermind group, I think I was in that for two years. It changed my life. It changed. Wow. And then I was hanging out with all these business people who were very generous to me and they helped with, you know, and they showed me and even Jack, he was so wonderful. He goes, Lisa, you are the best out of everybody of getting things done you're managing so much. So he's one of those people who taught me who I was and shined a light on that. And then, you know, then I got invited to, he said, go do Toastmasters. And I started doing Toastmasters and the Toastmasters, somebody, um, I hired him to fix my computer and he goes, go to BNI. And so I went to BNI and I tell you, Robbie, I um, ended up pregnant. I was having, I was in bed rest for most of the pregnancy. So I would show up for the one day to go to BNI and I did the rest of it from bed. And by the time I had the um, child, I had a full practice. Wow, that's incredible. So for those who aren't familiar BNI, it's you commit to going weekly and also inviting people and you practice having your, your quick elevator pitch to introduce yourself. And every now and again, you get a chance to say a little bit more. I've actually not gone, I'm not a BNI member, but um, for those who commit to it, it's just another way of you know staying in a network but it's a very local network. And it sounds like you were also still building a very local based business. I built a very local. Now um, I do not have a local base. I'm yeah. very international. <laughs> it's a very, Great. you know, yeah, but my energy is not as resident for the local uh, demographics. I do a lot better with high energy and I just look, but I look at my numbers. I look at where things are. I do really, really well in New York. I do really well in, and you know, Cal California, I do phenomenal in Colorado. So, but it's knowing where your people are and if they resonate. Yeah, I get that. And Canadians. Oh, I love the Canadians. I have half my practice always has come from Canada. <laughs> Very international. So, you know, when we think about networking, there's that inner circle of people that we know we're going to stay in touch with. And then there's the second and third layers or second and third tiers out the people that you might see once a year at a conference. 
um, the people that you worked with five years ago, but you haven't really had a reason to since. These are people you like. <laughs> they like you. You enjoy each other. I should always mention that. Um, how do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of kind of weaker connections, weaker ties, or any kind of habits, philosophies, practices? Yeah, yeah. I have a philosophy I called, the, well, it's not mine. I, I took it from a mentor, from Mark LeBlanc. Um, he's one of he used to be a former um, national president of NSA National Speakers Association, and he has this program called Storm Starters. And so he reaches out to people that you know and you like, and you reach out to them every day. And so every day I'm reaching out to somebody every bit day. And at first it was really hard because of my introvert soul. It's really scary. But then I learned that I can send them love and I can reconnect. And these are people I love. Why? What is the negative of telling somebody how much you appreciate them and what specifically to that person? And so it's become a joy because I'm the, I get to know what they're doing. We get to they get to know what I'm doing. Sometimes business comes out of it, but it's not for the purpose of business. It's a pur purpose of sending love and staying close to people that over the years have really made a difference in my life that's a great uh a great sort of practice and i love that you gave him a mark a shout out he's quite a, a figure in the national speakers association yeah he just got his big uh, what the big award what cpae yeah he's yeah, yeah he just got that i it was, it was so fun to see him like, Yay! that's right because congratulations to him we'll put a link to more information about mark in the show notes um so i'm curious how you decide who's going to be on the list uh, to be reaching out to them? Like, how do you determine who's added? Um, do they stay on the list year after year? Do you just constantly look for new people? You know, do you have a list of 50 people a year? You know, how do you, how do you determine who you're going to continually nurture? Well, I used your book. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, what was it? What All was this it? big results launched yes, yes. and no matter the size of your email list. Small yeah, list. and I, I did his book launch and everything, and you had a great thing of where you went down, and you have a very strategic way of figuring out who is on the list and who isn't. So, you know, I'll bypass going to the big detail, but I used your book, and then I go through it, and and I did, you know, the hots and the knots and the people that you can't wait. But really, honestly, Robbie, every day I show up and I intuitively go, who who should I connect with? And I d will do that. And it's natural. I have a list that I go through and look at it. But I'm like, there are certain names that will just rise up. And I'm like, today, you know, and how I communicate with them. Sometimes it's going to be a Slack me a loom message. Sometimes it will be a phone call. Sometimes it will be email. Sometimes it will be Facebook thing. But it's really just tune in. Mm -hmm. I love this. And the fact that it's a daily practice means it's now a habit that you formed. It's a it's a rhythm. And though and at first it was a little hard as an introvert to it was really it. hard. <laughs> but you reframed it. I did it all by myself, right? Yeah, you reframed it. So now it's about pouring love into the world. I mean, I've been doing a follow Friday post for years and years now. And uh, whenever I'm with my team and we're like, oh, I need I need more names for that. I'm like, oh gosh, you know, first is like a blank. And then all of a sudden, like a name will pop in my head. And I'm like, oh, oh, have we done this person? We must have. And then, and then we look and no. And I'm like, oh, how is that possible? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you know, it, you want to stay on top of that. And I, I love the idea of just like shining a light on people, giving them some love, either publicly or privately. The more specific, the better when you're appreciating people. That's always a good thing. Right. And I had a challenge because I had changed my name a couple of times and I had moved a couple of times. And so, mm. you know, rewaking up my network 
was a lot more challenging than it is for the normal individual because, you know, uh, you got out of sight, out of mind, and then you keep changing your name. Does not help. Does not help. Yeah. You just, you should find a way to keep getting in front of them so they can connect the dots. (laughs) Right. And and then, you know, some of them are like, oh, I didn't know that was you. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So uh, we're wrapping up here. We're about to get into my favorite wrap-up question. Before we do, let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsors. All right. So it's a year from now. I know we're going to stay in touch. And I know that um, I'm probably going to see you more than more than just once in a while because you're in the Content and Connection Club. But let's say it's a year from now and we're catching up when I suddenly, or maybe you realize it's been a year since this interview. What are we going to be celebrating together a year from now? What are you in particular going to be celebrating a year from now? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? I can't wait for this book to change entrepreneurs' lives to absolutely, it's the most common entrepreneur mistakes and how to avoid them. And it's a, it's just like a, a foundational thing. And I'm already getting wins from people about how it's growing because I'm taking all my knowledge of, of being a coach for 25 years and I put it in there and I backed it up with research and all that fun stuff. But what I want to celebrate is how the world has improved by people going forward in their business, getting the skill sets that they need, me being a little contribution to it and to just celebrating that we are no longer in the crazy world because people are showing more love, people are showing more tolerance and people are are getting their skills out and their talents out in a bigger, more powerful way. So read its full title again so everyone can hear it and where can they find that book? So The The most common entrepreneur mistakes and how to avoid them. Mm-hmm. And they can find it on Amazon. Fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes to the book as well. Um, this is just your latest book, uh, 30 some odds, 31, I think, for you. Is that correct? Yeah, it's 31. I just signed a contract for, for my 32nd. And I know wow. it's very confusing because this is the only book I published under McDonald's. So it makes <laughs> it really. So I tried to hook some of my other ones up on Amazon. And Amazon was like, nope, you're not that same person. Yeah. Like, yeah. Look at my picture. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll uh, we'll put a link to this book on the show notes for sure, so people can find it. And I I feel like that's such a great topic because one of the things I felt is as soon as I figured something out about entrepreneurship or really kind of about anything, I immediately want to you know make it into a three step process and teach it because I'm like if I had a struggle to figure it out, I want someone else to get past that particular hurdle, and then people I feel like who are further along are helping me do the same thing. Like I, I have had mentors and coaches help me sort of look around the corner when I couldn't to tell me like what else was coming up next in my business or what else to look out for. So it sounds like a foundational book for a lot of people. Yeah. What I did, I did interview 50 different entrepreneurs and 50 different industries back in 08, what their biggest mistakes were and what is, and then I came back and I interviewed people again of how it changed with 2020 and all of that. And there's a lot of quotes from a lot of, it's not, I didn't want to be just me because I'm just one entrepreneur with one experience. I wanted, but the thing Robbie is one of them that you'll hear and that you'll really appreciate was networking that they didn't network, but it's foundational principles that apply to, almost every single service-oriented business. 
That's brilliant. Well, I can't wait to celebrate the success of this book. Uh, if you get a copy, please read it and write a review. I will ask on behalf of Lisa. We both know how important reviews are. Um, and I know a lot of the folks listening who are great about writing reviews for my books. So how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, if they go to stepitupqueen.com, they can find me. They can learn more, much more about that. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. So those Fantastic. are my favorite places to hang out. We will put those links in the show notes at onishmoose.com. Lisa, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Oh, thank you. And thank you for being such a great um, peer and mentor. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at onishmoose.com. Look for episode 349. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who has overcome challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.